Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, episode 140. Today we are talking about Drake's new album, Beyonce dropping a single with an album coming up, NBA news with the Warriors winning the championship and locking in some progress for their dynasty, the current real estate market, and the economic tumultuousness we're all dealing with. Um, so stay tuned, strap in your seatbelts, put your trade tables up. Pilot Boys are getting ready to take off. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. You know what, V? I was thinking about starting this podcast off, but honestly, never mind. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> I, I'm always happy when we have um, great artists releasing music and starting conversations for music heads and the music community. I always love when we get to talk about these topics. And uh, Drake and Beyonce in the same week have given us literally everything to talk about. I think it's pretty undisputed that they're probably the two biggest uh, American-born stars uh, globally. Um, and for yeah. them to both kind of release and kind of like the thing about them that's so unique is that they're geniuses, right? Not just musically, but in how they market, how they release, how they how they create energy behind their releases. And obviously, because they are the biggest stars, it allows them the uh, a little bit of more leeway to be more creative than some other folks can be. But they never disappoint. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's true. I mean, when you look at like a Drake or Beyonce, like there's a lot of people who, you know, are passionate about music, who, you know, put out put out music and, you know, get into the game with this sense of like competition. And I think when you look at Drake and, and Beyonce and like really I, I would put Kanye in the same category, like their level of intuitive understanding of how to make something immediately the conversation that everybody's talking about is on a different level like to the extent that i feel like that's a big part of these people's purpose on earth and so when you hear this project i i heard you know kind of from a lot of people in my circle a lot of uh, a lot of disappointment a lot of frustration that everything was a house track on the project and uh, you know i think it's nice as a fan of art to see an artist evolve through their career and take chances that you know may not be critically acclaimed every single time. Yeah, growth um, growth and risk-taking are, are very important because it forces your listeners also to not get comfortable. The flip side of this is, as, as we all know, just like with, with athletes, um, most musicians' careers are fairly short, right? They might have a dynamic first project, but because they don't grow or they grow in a way that's not well-received, um, they lose their steam or they lose their path. And this is something that artists are very well aware of. And that's why it's so impressive from, to me that Drake at the top of his game is willing to take a risk like this um, and shift, shift the conversation, um, not just about music, but about his music. And he, he's very well aware. He's one of the most self-aware people there is also to capitalize, to know how to capitalize on what he knew was going to be the reception, right? Like he knew that he was going to piss off a lot of people, but he also knew he was going to gain a whole new market at the same time. And this is what's genius about mar his marketing strategy. He realizes that 
all you need to do is leverage both of those two groups to make your project even bigger, right? Because the fact that so many of his fans were angry it's made him trend. And the fact that he had created something and then put himself in a lane that hadn't also created a narrative because he, Drake has the number one all-time dance record now ever released on Apple Music, right? And he still was number one. I think probably every track was the top 13 on, on Billboard or top 14 on Billboard this week, right? Yeah. And that's what's so genius about this is he doesn't give a fuck what you say about him, good or bad. He just knows that both of those things, both of those energies can be used. And then <clears throat> the thing that I found most appealing was like today or last night when I was before I went to sleep scrolling through Instagram, you see his merch release. And his merch release <laughs> was basically all his old album covers, putting a play on the fact that if you want to listen to my old stuff, go listen to my old stuff, right? But what that's doing is probably triggering. We'll probably see next week the spins for all of his old albums go up as well. Oh, it's yeah. just such a unique awareness of how the market works and also the, the courage to take artistic risks musically and push people to open up to new sounds that I, I, I find so appealing about this. Like I didn't care for the album, but that's not why I appreciate it. I, I still appreciate what he was doing. And I also appreciate that globally, this album is going to take off. Yeah. And there's some fantastic tracks on there too. If, if house music isn't your thing, you know, you probably won't like, like the whole thing front to back, but there are a couple tracks that regardless of what genre you like, I think it's hard not to like those songs. Um, I, I think one of the things I've observed is I saw kind of like a, a long form, you know, these hip hop bloggers love to write these long form articles that nobody I, reads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I end up reading them, but <laughs> these long form articles, I saw one about how, uh, Drake is essentially like, I think the, the narrative is Drake is losing a spot at the top. And I think there's this assumption that you need to maintain your spot at the top. And I think, you know, as someone who puts out music myself, I like weird. I like people just doing whatever the heck that they want to, you know, and just throwing caution to the wind and daring to be bold and not caring what the reception is. And Drake is, he, he takes it further. He is able to lean into whatever sound he wants to make. Obviously there's, there's some intentionality here, but Clearly he loves this genre of music as he's been tapping into it for the last four projects with a song on each project that is in this kind of dance hall style, house style. And he is able to then add the marketing element in the slightly like self-deprecatory way that helps you connect with him deeper as an artist. And I just think like that layer of marketing and brand building as an artist is, it's just, so underrated because every artist always just wants to talk about how great they are and how they want to be at the top and the, the narrative is always who's at the top right now in the rap game and drake's sitting here saying i'm at the top but i'm at the top because i'm making fun of myself in a sense with every single thing he does the last music music videos for his project since the track i'm upset you know way back on scorpion from then on he's had this very humorous tone with the brand that he's built. And I just think like when you don't take yourself too seriously, it allows you the freedom to experiment and grow as an individual, 
And I just think like we need to all acknowledge that the goal of music is not to be the number one selling artist. The goal of music is to express yourself as an individual. And if people resonate with that, they do. Yeah, I just had to take a moment and show this like huge fan of your old stuff. That's just hilarious, right? Like puts his old, if you're reading this, honestly, never mind. Like he's just brilliant. And the brilliance is is subtle, um, but it's also self-awareness. We always talk about this on our podcast. It's a about self-awareness being the most important attribute for a person. Um, and that's really how he's he's monetizing and capturing his self-awareness. He knew what was going to happen here. But at the same time, this one thing I will say about Drake is I don't think he was really taking a risk, right? Because he's such a student of music. He saw kind of a trend. He saw something he was tapping into. This is you see this over and over. He captures, he does it in hip hop. He he helped he helped bring Afro pop into mainstream America by jumping on tracks with WizKid. He has a sense of what's next before everyone else does because he is truly at the top of his game. And somebody who's at the top of his game, as he is, as a chameleon of music, is understanding what is going to resonate and being okay with with pissing some people off along the way. But the record would not be number one all-time dance record if it wasn't Drake. So that article that says, oh, he's losing his spot at the top, no, he's just growing in a way that you're uncomfortable with. And that's your personal lack of self-awareness that's pushing what your narrative, what you feel like he's supposed to be to you onto him, which is a very unfair way that we've evaluated artists and artistry, um, specifically in the music space that become popular. And I think he's really challenged and, and forcing people to dismiss because all these records will be all over the radio. They'll be all over the clubs in, in Spain and in France and, and everywhere else. So how can you say he lost his top spot when he's all he's done is just a, an audience that was already the top. He's widened it even more. Yeah. And I think people forget, you know, he's, he's not an American. He's Canadian. Yeah. So his exposure to international culture is already on a totally different level than most Americans. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of the uh, thoughts on Drake come from, because he I mean, he's obviously been a student of American culture, too, and he's he's been a big part of it. But I think a lot of people don't understand the reception of Drake in the Caribbean islands, in Europe, you know, in Africa, like the way that he's built his brand and all of these different continents has been nothing short of extraordinary. And so when you see a project like this, it also takes like a humility most Americans don't have in the way that we think about ourselves to recognize that maybe the project isn't for America. Yeah, yeah, it it may not be. And it isn't, it isn't for everyone. And the thing that's so genius is he also leaked out that he's gonna release a Scary Hours Part Two, right? And the Scary Hours Part Two is going to be probably all the music that the people who are pissed off now are going to love and say, okay, we love you again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it will, and then in the mix, it will be a track from honestly, never mind, and a track from Scary Hours too, and they'll be vibing to both of them, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. And dude, that's like to me, that's like the special thing about him is that he's able to give you so many different sides of himself. I just think like 
there's not there's not many artists that can take you through like if you took Drake songs, you could make a full playlist of all genres. Yeah, you, know? you can. It's funny, and you know, when I was making this long drive from Ohio to Florida, literally probably seventy five percent of the time was Drake playlist. He's got R and B. He's got pop. He's got lyrical rap. He's got his kind of like flex rap. He's got his pop music. Yeah, yeah. He's got his dance songs. He's got some songs for the girls. You know. Yeah, I mean, he is truly this this generation's. You know, I can't even know. I don't. Michael Jackson is probably the the best comparable, but Drake is even more eclectic sonically than Michael Jackson ever was or any major artist I think of our time has ever been to capture the whole range of music. I don't know what he's going to do next. Maybe he'll make a jazz album. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if he made a jazz album, he'd find his number one fan here. Uh, yeah. The I, I also have to say just the, the fact that people, especially artists these days, it seems are releasing more music or at least the bigger artists, like hearing Drake, drop an album just well two things one there was the kind of signaling on certified lover boy that with the pregnant emojis there might be an album drop nine months later yeah exactly nine months later that's what he did so i don't i don't necessarily understand the tie there but one of the rumors i heard is that you know when he was making certified lover boy he made one project and then apparently like scrapped it and made a totally different project and that's actually what we got and I don't know if that's true or not. Either way, interesting signaling there. Uh, but to get another project from an artist as monumental as Drake in nine months, I'm a fan of that. Give me a project every nine months. It doesn't even have to be that good. But I like the variety. I like to. I like to hear the growth and the changes. And I think, like as a fan, it. I, I, it's always better to get more than less. And it, I think like one of the biggest travesties in music is I wonder how many tracks are just on these hard drives that I'll never see the light of day. Yeah. And I think I want to, I want to add something to yours. It's there is, there are a lot of prolific artists out here. Right. But the thing that I like about Drake, and I think he's also continuing to grow is that he did wait nine months. He did spend nine months in the lab figuring out how he wanted his project to sound. He took the time. He didn't just keep releasing a song every week or or, or be prolific for just the sake of being prolific. Um, it's There is a lot of thought into the creative process of making things um, a sound a way that he wants to sound. And one, advantage, one thing that I really do like, even though this album isn't particularly for my ears. There's a few tracks that I like is I really like what he's doing now, which if quite frankly, when you look at Drake's albums, they all have great songs, but they're very convoluted. They don't sound cohesive. They sound all over the place. And what he's doing here is he's separating out those sounds. Like you said, he's got, he makes music for these different groups of fans this project satisfies one range sonically and I'm sure scary hours is going to be another one. And then he'll probably have something else in the fall. My guess is some sort of short project in the fall as well, but it's just that type of growth. You see an artist who, you know, is working harder than everybody else. 
as soon as I saw him popping out with like with Jack Carlo and stuff, I was like, okay, Drake's about when he starts getting active like that in the real world, you know, <laughs> there's some new music dropping. Right. But what you don't see is those nine months where all you're seeing is Drake posting, posting videos of him betting on games and stuff from his house. That means he's locked in the studio creating with his creative team and working talking through the marketing plans. That's why his shit does well is because it's thorough and thought through. And that's what artists need to recognize that Drake is in the position that he's in because he's more talented. He works harder. He thinks harder and he really genuinely cares more about music than anything else in his life. Yeah. Well said, man. Well said. That's such a, such a great statement. I think this trend um, that we saw of Drake sliding into this dance hall dance vibe um, we heard it on Beyonce's new single as well. Uh, she teased it, dropped it uh, yesterday as of recording this podcast with an album coming in the next few weeks. Um, another great artist, another another person kind of putting the stamp on the direction of music moving in this dance direction. Um, you mentioned it before we recorded, V, but maybe this is the end of that depressing shit we've had to deal with for so long. Yeah, I think there's a there's a there's a shift, music listener shift, right? Like genres shift, you know, and stuff gets recreated, obviously. Um, but what Beyonce does that's similar but different is that we do not get new music from Beyonce every six months. You know, there was we've waited two years where she went back in the lab, her sound from two years ago is not the sound that you're hearing on this project again, because she goes back, she locks in, she observes, she thinks through what's happening in society, comes up with the release plan, comes up what with the music, right? Because it's all produced in a way. And she releases it. Her and Drake, the reason that they are as big as they are is not by accident. They are brilliant in every sense of what it takes to be a commercially successful artist. And there, what you say about Drake, you have to be able to say about Beyonce. Every time she releases an album, she comes up with a new unique way to do it. This time it was announced with the release of her Vogue shoot, right? And then it started with her changing, taking down her profile picture. And that's all that it took for her fan base to go crazy and say, we're getting new music. Next day, the Vogue shoot comes out. She announces the new album. Then it's in her Instagram bio. And then yesterday she announces the single is dropping at midnight. So it's like the conversation is started without her having to do really much of anything except for taking very, very simple strategic steps. She's very well aware of the power of her brand and her fan base and the way to release the music, releasing a song off of it first to get people's ears attuned to hey i'm coming with something different here um and and to create the the noise and also the embrace like it seems like everybody is in love with this record she knew it doesn't sound like anything else that's out but she knew her and drake knew okay let's tap into this and it's going it's people this is what people's ears are ready for and yeah. should be ready for and, you know, to be fair, we have to give props to The weekend for leading this sonic direction. He came out a year ago with this, with this sound. Uh, but Drake and Beyonce, as usual, are the ones who 
you know, take what's on the edge and bring it to the mainstream. Um, one of the other things that I just really, really think matters in this generation is with the volume of TikTok artists that are out right now, everybody can sound like a little baby. Everybody can sound yeah. like future. And I think this is a wise move by any top artist to break out of their genre and expand because it just shows you that the kids sitting at home in the bedroom can't compete again because there's a there is a true difference in an understanding of music and skill level you know when when you're you know drake and you drop your same kind of formula you've been dropping for six albums seven albums and you know it's it's repeatable you're gonna have nine million artists that sound the exact same as you but when you exhibit diversity there's there's no one that can really you know be seen as the same as you and i think there's value in that in today's day and age yeah and i think you know hip-hop is that this is also kind of an indictment you know to say i'm a hip-hop hip-hop lover but there there is you know the risk that the over commercialization of hip-hop in terms of an art form right in terms of everything sounding the same or like you said having 10 different little babies having six different Cardi B's, Megan the Stallions, I can't even name all of this, the, the same group of female rappers that rap about the same stuff. At the end of the day, it's not, it's, there's a risk that you're taking by doing that because you're not staying true to art. You're staying true to commercialization. This is what consumers want. And what has always made hip hop so brilliant in, in terms of its growth and staying power has been its ability has been its ability to grow and and be unique, right? And and create sounds and to create voices that are unique. Um, and there was a space for so many different writers uh, types. You had conscious hip hop, you had mainstream hip hop, you had dance hip hop. Now it seems like we're just hearing so much of the same and we're not hearing that same level of diversity um, pop up, but you see the artists who truly are trying to be unique. They are the biggest. Kendrick, when Kendrick drops and when J. Cole drops, their fan bases um, receive them differently because they're pushing the envelope as well from a musical standpoint and an artistic standpoint and not just only thinking about, oh, this is what I need to sound like to sell records, to be to go viral on TikTok. Yeah, that's, that's well said. And I think that's the great the great truth of life is that the more you try to be like somebody else, the less successful you'll be. The more you find your own authenticity and individuality and lean into that, you know, the more the more joy you live life with. And again, Drake's album, I think, well, regardless of the commercial success of it, it's a huge success for him as an individual to be able to step out of his box, make that statement and honestly expand his brand, which is what he's doing here. Yeah. Yep. And, and same with Beyonce. Like I just, it's, I'm a marketing nerd. So more than anything, even the music, I just really appreciate their approach and their, their concerted effort to do things in a way that's meaningful, um, that, that values their and shows an appreciation for the place that they have in society as well. And the responsibility that, that comes with that. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of a tweet you know, we'll use this as a our transition into some of the business topics before we get to the NBA stuff. Um, but I saw this tweet and it's, it's about venture capital, but 
I think the, the, the idea of it holds with any industry. The tweet was that the venture capital industry formed as a group of people wanting to tackle the world's biggest problems. And then they all decided collectively the world's biggest problem was trying to get your groceries under 15 minutes. And I think like that is kind of a perfect analogy for how a lot of things in this world um, occurs that you get a bunch of people that are really well intentioned and they sell out so fast. They lose their individuality. They just do whatever they think other people want them to do just to not break away from the herd. And it, it takes these incredible, incredible well-intentioned efforts and it turns them into just the same kind of noise that you hear every single day. And, you know, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you're the type of person that's willing to stand, stand out and be an individual. And I, I just think like that's the most important currency you can have in our world today is individuality. 100%. And yeah. I think, you know, it's funny before we transition, I think there's also kind of this trend in society of the commercialization of individuality, right? People who think by doing certain things or behaving or dressing a certain way that they're expressing their individuality. But the truth is they are literally fitting into this like commercialization of understanding that people want to believe that they're individuals, but everybody's wearing the same shoes. Everybody's wearing the same shirts. Everyone's on the same three vibes of dress. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the, that's the, that's, that's another funny, funny part of this in terms of like what we're in, in terms of the phase of individuality where it's becoming mainstream, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're making it commercialized to make people because it's a, it's a psychological trick that they're playing on people that they're making you feel like you're an individual, but you're really not, you're doing what everyone else is doing. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. Like the Yeezy boots. <laughs> yeah. That's how I was thinking about those. And Jordans, man. Everyone, Jordans, I was like, too. I never understood like when the new Jordans came out and I would go out and that night everybody would have the same shoes on. I was like, how are you, how are you expressing your, you're not expressing your individuality. You're fitting into a group. You know, I yeah, mean. yeah, a hundred percent. It's uh, and you know, I think you're equally under the spell if you try really hard to get something different just for the sake of being different. That's also yeah. that also means you're being controlled. The exactly. same, the same emotion, just reacting differently. Yeah. So yeah. you know, that's that's a, it's a it's a tough one because individuality sometimes means you look just like everybody else, and yeah. sometimes it means you don't, and it's a really really hard thing to understand about yourself. I feel bad for the kids growing up today because it's harder than ever. I yeah. Think, to see through it. I mean, the whole idea of just being you, right, is, and, and this might be a way to help yourself or people who are listening, just do what you feel like doing, right? Dress how you feel like dressing, you know, listen to the music you feel like listening to. Like, that is what being you is always about is trusting your intuition and and sometimes that mean mean you fit into the crowd you know what i mean i, I like yeah. my jordan ones i wear them you know what i mean i know everybody else wears them but i still wear them because that's something that i feel is a part of me but that's not going to drive like my narrative that every time i go out i have to wear a certain type of shoe a certain brand of shoe or a certain certain brand of clothing like that's what being you is is knowing what you like understanding something and just going with it versus following the crowd of what what everyone else is kind of manipulating you to believe is you absolutely now uh 
kind of shifting shifting gears a little bit into our business topics. Um, we have kind of a lot going on in the business ecosystem, a lot of fear around an upcoming recession, a federal uh, interest rate hike of uh, 0.75% from the Federal Reserve. Um, the real estate market, uh, you know, here's here's a stat. V and I were in Austin last week and I was, I was looking this up. 40, roughly 41% of homes in Austin were purchased by private equity last year. Meaning that the reason that if you live in Austin or Atlanta or any of these kind of rapidly growing cities, the reason you can't buy a house is not because there's a bunch of wealthy people moving in. It's because billionaires in New York who manage, you know, hundreds of billions to trillions in their portfolio don't know where to put their money. So they're just buying every single house they can buy above what you can afford because they got bailed out in 2012 instead of having to suffer the consequences of making a bad decision on the business front. I think there's for any cons for any decision, there's consequences, the inflation we're facing a consequence of the response during COVID and how, how we handled that scenario. Every decision we talk about it so much has what would we call it a price V every yeah. path has a price. And we're, we're paying that price right now. That's, that's what's going to happen over the next year or two. Um, if you are, you know, kind of an individual in the labor market, um, I, I heard a stat from the former Federal Reserve chairman that uh, 5% unemployment rate would, um, would actually help resolve the inflationary side of this, meaning that if 5% of people who want jobs can't get jobs, then the value of a dollar would go up enough to meet where it's where it's at on paper and anytime that happens that means that right now first of all we're in a labor shortage starting to even out uh, because of hiring freezes and those types of things that are happening but if people can't get jobs and we're in a wealth disparity it's going to be a rough time and so it's just an important time to you know just be aware that things will be changing around you things will be different and it doesn't mean you have to lose your joy or happiness to live life along this path, but just embrace the fact that, you know, nothing needs to remain the same. Change can be a great thing for you if you really lean into that. And, you know, don't take the bait on Twitter about left or right or any of that stuff relating to this. Economic cycles are a part of human psychology manifested on a larger scale. The policies that we implement have slight effect on these cycles. But in reality, this is just a part of the human psyche is that we go in waves. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's funny, a lot of this stuff is was very predictable, right? And uh, I discussed this, that the idea of um, not thinking about the long-term consequences of short-term decision-making. And it's one of my frustrations with our government. Um, there are people who are tasked to make decisions for the long-term benefit of society, right? And what happened at the start of COVID was I didn't think that there was a lot of thought put into, okay, what is, it was just like print a bunch of money, right? And then print more money and give people more money. Let's stimulate, very smart move to stimulate the economy, keep the machine running. But they did not put enough thought into how much money because a lot of money was wasted that's printed. Money continues to be wasted consistently. You know, this is government and power structures and banks, everybody who's involved in the process. 
And this is kind of one of the pitfalls of capitalism that we all have to deal with is that when an opportunity arises or perceived opportunity arises, everybody jumps into it. And as a result of that, there's always going to be a reaction to the overzealous nature of what we do. And the truth is we did not need to print as much money as we needed to print. We would not have the inflation issues that we have if we didn't overprint money. And the, the, the reason that that's an issue is because nobody's thinking about that in terms of what would the long, people are only thinking about what they could get now. The congressmen and senators, how can I get money for my special interest group so I can get reelected? Everybody was thinking very selfishly. Many of the small businesses that got PPP loans didn't need them. They were functioning just fine. And so and, and many of these loans don't have to be repaid. So somebody has to hold the bag for it. And unfortunately, whatever always happens in all of these scenarios is the people that can least afford to hold that bag, which is the everyday taxpayer, are the people who are left holding that bag. And it's a cycle of, of, of economics that people need to be very aware of, right? Money doesn't disappear. It just changes hands. So there's a lot of money out here. They're talking about all these billionaires losing their wealth. We'll find out what the next step of wealth creation is going to be that they create that probably widens the wealth gap even more. It's just unfortunate that we're not taught these things and the idea of thinking through your long-term decision-making and finances, thinking through because that's not taught, it's a symptom of our society. Yeah. Very true. Very true. And it's, you know, it, it's a time that I think it's very important to not get engaged in the arguments and just focus on creating value for society. Because at the end of the day, the people who handle tough times with calmness and who are happy are the ones who are indispensable. And yeah. that's if, if you want to keep your job, if you want to grow in your job, nothing is impossible. Nothing is, you know, things may appear more difficult. But cream rises to the top, especially during tough times where the spotlight is really on everybody. And if you're working a job, you know, whatever situation you might be in, if you're an entrepreneur, it's a great time to show positivity and energy and leadership and the things that really society needs, because that's what attracts people when, when they're unsure. And we're yeah. going to have a lot of unsure people over the next year and a half. Yeah. And, you know, I always go back to what in the, in the book Sapiens, uh, Yuval Harari, I actually watched his uh, his TED talk. It's also important to remember that this shit is all make believe. Right. Money is a man made cre creation uh, and a concept that and even the economy, this is all psychological we've created the cycle percep psychological perception that you need to have a certain amount of money that certain things are supposed to cost a certain amount the truth is the world is full of all the natural resources we need we actually don't even need homes we could live in the wild people have done that um so when you start to tap into the fear of what's happening economically and in the financial markets just remember that this is make-believe and we can fix it just like we can make believe problems, we can make believe corrections. And that's what's going to happen. And like you said, the most important thing is to stay mentally balanced and be aware that this is just a product of the systems that society's created that we have to learn how to manage and function within. But 
at the end of the day, none of this is real. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. None of the economy, money, news, social media, any of the human constructs are just human constructs, but they have nothing to do with life, yep. which is a much more powerful thing. Um, speaking of life, um, you know, let's transition over to the NBA. Uh, the Warriors showing that, yeah, this, this light may not go out uh, on their championship window, uh, winning another one in game six in Boston. You saw Boston just really defeated at the end of the series, just kind of recognizing that they didn't have what it takes to be a championship team. I think we all kind of knew that going into the series, despite my hopes. Uh, but uh, it was a good win. I think it's nice to see Steph win his finals MVP. V, I know you wanted to see Wiggins win it. Um, you know, better luck next time, but I think he'll get paid. So I think he's going to be happy about that one. Yeah. I mean, the thing is um, everybody knew that Steph was going to win, win this one because he hadn't won one before. And it was like, I do think Wiggins was the most critical player for that team in the series because of his role, stopping Tatum and also being a consistent presence on the glass and um, also offering scoring punch as a second scorer when Clay Clay and the rest of the team didn't show up. He was the guy that showed up on both ends of the floor every night. Um, but I can't fault uh, Steph as kind of the leader of this organization in their dynasty, um, finally getting one. And I don't think Andrew Wiggins is upset about it uh, too much either. Um, like you said, he's about to get paid and he kind of had poetic justice on all of his critics um, throughout, throughout, um, throughout the years that he's been in the league, right? Yeah. I really wish that we would have had this opportunity um, with LeBron, Kyrie, and Wiggins. I would have loved to see Wiggins develop with those two guys. Who knows where that team would be if if we hadn't made the short, again, the short-sighted decision to trade for Kevin Love. It did generate a championship, but that led to long-term consequences, just one championship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and that's that's really what this Warriors story is about is a team that really thinks through and has a plan. They're like the China of the NBA. China has a hundred year economic plan. The Warriors, if you look at all the iterations, all three teams that have won championships are different, comprised of different players, different, different stars, different philosophy. But what's constant is, as I, is this belief in the system that the Warriors have created and it should be a reminder of how rare this thinking is to think through things from a long-term perspective. How do we stay competitive? There was a lot of pressure at the beginning of the season for the Warriors to trade Kaminga, to trade Wiseman, to trade Jordan Poole so that they could be more competitive in the now. And they were receiving so much criticism for not doing it, even internally. Draymond Green said he, he wasn't sure about that line of thinking either. It's like, we're in our prime. But to have the faith to say, hey, what we're going to do actually is we have our core of stars. We're going to develop these young guys alongside them. So when two or three years from now, when Clay's out of the NBA, Steph's out of the NBA, Draymond's in the NBA, our machine keeps going, is a line of thinking that you would think more teams would think take. Uh, the last organization that we've seen do this is the Spurs, you know, and the Miami Heat. 
it's a surprisingly simple line of thinking that yeah. for some reason nobody else can seem to stomach. And it's it's kind of ridiculous because I think the model has been pretty disproven now that you can just pull a few all-stars and have not a great rest of your roster and win. Like it it just doesn't really work like that. Like even the Miami Heat teams that won had an amazing supporting cast. Yep. Yep. And, and you're seeing the transition now into that, you know, Memphis looks like they're following this model. If you look at how they're developing their team, the Cavaliers, the Cavalier, Charlotte. Charlotte, they're, they're Dallas, you know, what Dallas is doing. Yeah. Atlanta, Atlanta. It's like that, that model is not, is not one that works. Look at the Brooklyn Nets, you know, look yeah. at, look at what happened with the Celtics. They won one ring. That team should have won three or four rings. Yeah. But they couldn't. You know what I mean? And all these teams, like you said, that are thrown together, even the Lakers, they got lucky because it was a shortened season, but they thought that they would be at the mountaintop. But that's what happens. It takes time to develop chemistry. It takes time to gel. It takes a system that's consistent, a consistent type of offense, a consistent type of defense where you plug people into that system versus try to recreate the wheel based on the talent that you're bringing in and you can't lose culture guys like i think that's where golden state thrives is keeping someone like a draymond on the roster vocal you know giving him the freedom to use his podcast use his voice the way he wants to knowing that his intensity although it rubs people wrong sometimes is one of the the magic ingredients that keeps this warriors team on edge and focused every year and you know it's just it just shows incredible wisdom. I mean, even even in the way that Draymond played through the finals wasn't wasn't great. Like he he said it himself, wasn't his yeah. best performance. But still, like the energy he brings to the floor and the threat of somebody who is that vocal and you know will will get into it with one of your players and technicals will be called. Uh, it it can very much neutralize another scrappy defensively oriented player on the other team. Yeah, 100%. And it's like the the whole idea of helping people become the best versions of themselves. It's a, it's a, it's, you know, we always talk about how sports can apply to life. If you look at this organization, even with Andrew Wiggins, a guy that they said didn't work very hard, that was selfish that, you know, look at what they've been able to do with him, you know, tap in, and and be a part of it to take young a guy a young guy like Kaminga and put him in the system and let him be okay not playing too much in his first year, you know understanding and protecting James Wiseman in this injury situation. You look at how they've handled and isolated him versus how the Pelicans have handled the Zion Williamson injury, right? Where all kinds of information is being leaked all the time. It's organization pitted against player, everyone trying to leverage each other in different ways. You don't see that with this organization. They have honest, frank conversations with their players, with their front office, with the ownership, and they truly do focus on what does each each of us are different. What does each player need to be the best version of themselves? And let's actually care about these guys. Let's create the facilities that they're happy. Let's create the off the court opportunities for them that they need to tap into. And let's make them fear leaving here for money, for more money. You know what I mean? I'm sure that Wiggins is probably going to take less money than he probably would get on the open market to stay. And Jordan Poole would probably do the same. 
Yeah. I was also hearing a report that the Warriors are willing to spend really big and go deep into the luxury tax as well uh, this coming season. Because with this roster, they do have the potential to repeat this uh, this run, especially with a better Jordan Poole, uh, you know, a better set of young guys and a healthy James Wiseman. This is a very, very dominant team that they've put together. So, And Kaminga yeah. developing and, and, and Mooney sort of developing too, you know, yeah. so that they're, they're – uh... This, this is exciting, and you just have to appreciate greatness. I feel like at the start of the season, it was like people were saying that I was I was crazy for thinking the Warriors, after the three-year gap that they had, that they were just going to come in and win. I was like, no, they're going to win. I was confident in it. And it's because of this, because you know that they had taken the steps. I saw all these steps being taken, and – it came as no surprise, but I think a lot of what's being built in this this fear of accepting greatness, right? Like this is a dynasty. I feel like outside of the Bulls organization, this is this is the 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 best organization that I've seen consistently be great and also continue to build. Because if you look at all those, even the Bulls, after Jordan retired, the organization fell apart. Yeah, you know what I mean. This team lost Kevin Durant and got better. Yeah. Also, I have to say this: Memphis played Golden State better than Boston. Well, to Boston's Boston, you know, a lot of I'm hearing a lot of excuses from the Boston fans. Like, obviously, they had never been this deep in the playoffs before. They had two grueling seven game series, um, and they said, "Oh, our players were exhausted." Yes. Um, but that is kind of what you need to tap into so that you don't have to do the same. This has kind of been Boston's MO for like this period of time with this team. They underachieve and then they get it together when they need to. The second half of the season through the playoffs, Boston was the best team in the NBA, but that required a tremendous amount of energy um, to expend to get there. And hopefully the lesson is in the off season, we're prepared game one to kind of understand that this is a marathon, not a sprint. How do we best run this marathon? So at the end in the finals in game five, six, that we have that energy deep down that we can tap into. That's also part of the process of managing greatness and becoming a championship is to know how to pace yourself um, properly and, and to get to the mountaintop. Yeah. 100%. And I think there's a level of physical fitness that a Boston can step up on too. I mean, seven game series are tough, you know, don't get me wrong, but um, you could see, you could see the difference in how well conditioned the Warriors were. Yeah. You know, they just know what it takes. And you see that with certain teams like the Miami heat, unbelievable conditioning, you know, missed, missed by that much by three inches of knocking Boston out and taking that spot in the finals. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, there's lessons to be taken. Um, um, they, they can even, they can either get better. There are teams that make the finals and get better. And then there are teams that make the finals and then fade away. Um, but Boston has the talent to not fade away. Um, they also are in an Eastern conference where there are only probably three legitimate competitors to them. Although it's going to be scary to see Milwaukee back with Chris Middleton. I do think that they would have been in the finals if not for the loss of Chris Middleton. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are going to be a lot of offseason moves 
that happened, but Boston is in a position to get right back here and 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 cross, you know, cross that threshold and reach the mountaintop and 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 raise that raise that trophy. Hundred percent. And you know, you look at you know, the thing that cracks me up about this is you look at the players that all had deep runs. A lot of players that Philly let go of along the way. You know. Yeah. It, it's just you look Philly's a joke man and I and I, I'm gonna go on record and say it like that what they've done is they've destroyed everything they don't understand just going based on analytics that's what they say they do but the James Harden trade was an emotional decision by Daryl Morey going for his guy that he has a personal affinity for letting Jimmy Butler go I don't know what analytical analysis they had but letting jimmy butler go and keeping tobias harris and ben simmons was a mistake that maybe just the numbers don't show but if you watch basketball you want jimmy butler on your team joel Embiid wanted jimmy butler on his team you know yeah and and they probably would have been the representative in the finals this year if jimmy if if they would have kept jimmy butler and al horford and al horford yep they didn't know how to unlock the greatness of a guy like that. And that yeah. says a lot about the organization and the cult, as you said, culture of that team that they've got to correct. And I feel badly for Philly fans because they are really, really tapped into their, their sports teams. Um, and, and they want this team, nothing, nothing more than this team to, to, to be great again. And they keep shooting themselves in their own foot. Yeah. One other question for you, V why i've been seeing a lot of media about Kyrie. why is the media so adamant on getting Kyrie out of brooklyn when you make it's just like anything else when you make enemies and you don't and and this is being an nba player or being a public figure is a lot like politics you know how you need to know how to play the game and Kyrie, unfortunately doesn't know how to play the game in the best way he's created and alienated people he's put himself in a position to be a target whether fair or not this is what you talked about in the beginning understanding how human psychology works and i think Kyrie has some maturation to do and to understand you know i like Kyrie, and this is a knock i think there's some maturation that he needs to go through which is he wants to be able to criticize and wants to be able to, 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 to make his statements against people, but then gets upset when that same energy is returned to him and vice versa. Same thing with the media. This isn't just about Kyrie. This is also the media. You want to be able to create all these shows where you just shit on athletes and talk shit about them. When an athlete like Kyrie says, I'm fed up and reacts, then you take it personally and you make it a vendetta, a personal issue, when as a media member, you're supposed to be objective. So the accountability is actually more on the media here. But I just hope that Kyrie learns how to avoid creating a lot of these problems for himself with the things you know, that he said. I heard, a, I heard a really great take um, that, that I want to ask you about. It was Stephen A. Smith on JJ Reddick's podcast. And they were talking about like why Stephen A essentially takes his ridiculous stances. And um, JJ essentially was, you know, asked the question, Stephen A said, the thing that you're missing is that when you tell me I didn't play at that level and I don't understand, 
it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong because you just made the viewer who's 95% of, or 99% of people, the regular person who never had the athleticism to make the NBA, his view was you just make them alienated from you because you're saying they can never understand what you understand. Now they're on my side regardless about whatever we're debating. I wanted to get your take on that. You know, how, how much do you think, um, you know, how much weight do you think that holds? It definitely holds weight. You know, I'm not a big fan of Stephen A, but I understand why he's popular, right? It's, it's, it's a game. He's a character. And, and his insight into that tells you that he's very well aware of, of what he's doing, right? And I do think there is this alienation aspect that's happened over the last 10 to 15 years between athletes and fans that the media has capitalized on. Right. And that is players saying fans don't understand me. Fans like, you know, and Andrew Bogut said this when he came, he's like, it's actually a small percentage of fans who don't respect the players. It's and it gets taken out on all fans sometimes. And sometimes Mm -hmm. the whole group, not the the one percent of fans, 99 percent of fans get grouped into them, you know, and the reality is an understanding and being aware of the fact that you are in a position of privilege and to not be entitled with that position of privilege. It is a privilege, regardless of the shit. Many athletes, there's a lot of bad shit that athletes have to deal with, but it is a position of privilege in any role. You know, doctors deal with shit. Lawyers deal with shit. When you're put in a position to make that much money, right? Whether you should make more money or not, it's more money than 99% of America makes. You have an obligation and a responsibility to understand your position of, of privilege and operate in empathy to the people, the fans specifically, um, that are making that so. You know, the sacrifice. I know many fans who's who are struggling to make ends meet, but will find the two hundred the ever rising prices of tickets to be able to take their son or their daughter to a game just so that they can have that experience is and they might not be able to do something else as a result of that that month or that year just so that they can come to a game and help you make millions of dollars i do think that forget the media you know i think that that players really need to focus on the things that matter and the people that matter are the fans um and their families right the media is there to do a job understand that some members of media are there because of the society that we live in, to drive narratives, to to make you angry, to make you upset, to to needle you. That's all part of the society we live in. But I just, I, I agree with Stephen A, um, that players need to, to understand and, and do a better job of not alienating um, fans. Yeah, very, very similar divide that we've seen on the political side of things as well, and the business side of things. Just an alienation between uh you know, the ones being written about and the ones reading. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And last bit of news, uh, it just came across my wire. Uh, Deshaun Watson is settling 20 of the 24 lawsuits against him. Ooh. Uh, so, you know, settlement doesn't always mean guilt. Let's make that clear. Um, clearly, he's making this decision because... <clears throat> This story is not going away. 
It has not been handled correctly by him and his team at all. I think Rusty Harden last week said that there's nothing wrong with getting a hand job from a masseuse. <laughs> in so many, in so many words, like I, I think he explicitly said that. Yes, he yeah, did. Yeah. he did, he did, and um, this this again is one of those issues of a disconnect. There is a way to handle this scenario, but because Deshaun Watson is a difference-making football player, the ownership group of the Browns um, didn't care about the consequences. We're probably not going to have him for a significant portion of this year. Um, we're probably not going to, um, not, not going to also see him grow into a situation where it's going to be a happy scenario for the Cleveland Browns and the Cleveland Browns organization. And the bottom line here is that I feel badly for Deshaun Watson as a human being because clearly this guy has some sort of mental problem that caused some of this behavior because here's a guy who could have any woman that he wants, but there's some sort of issue here that because he plays football so well is being ignored and not being addressed. In my opinion, in my personal opinion. Well said, man. Well said. And I think it's a, it's an interesting scenario, obviously, you know, the Browns, Dealing with the karma of their action. Hundred yeah. percent. They definitely they definitely are dealing with uh the karma and you know the, the fallout will be the fallout, but hopefully this is behavior that's nipped in the bud and is actually treated and, and fixed. Yeah, absolutely. So uh on that note, um we're gonna wrap up this news and notes. We'll be back for a short deep dive in uh in another episode so stay tuned for that thank you so much for listening and as always stay moving be you you as fly holly boys at help